the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, so the Bible describes for us a predator as well. That the enemy, that Satan, desires to devour you, destroy you. You get that, right? He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy everything about your life. He wants to destroy our church. He's on the prowl like a roaring lion. Now, that said, he is a real enemy. He's a formidable foe. But our good shepherd is stronger still. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. We have a predator. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches us that we have a predator named Satan. This enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy us. He is like a lion looking to devour its prey. Satan seeks to destroy our marriages, our churches, and the lives of our kids. Thankfully, our Good Shepherd is stronger than any enemy. He is always with us, ready to help fight against Satan's attacks. Those who have placed their trust in Jesus have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Greater is He who is in us than He who is the world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 23 for part two of today's message titled, The Song of a Shepherd, part three of three. Again, I quoted from Philip Keller last week. He wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. It's a great commentary on the 23rd Psalm. And Keller himself was a shepherd, and he wrote this. He said, quote, In some of the finest sheep country of the world, especially in the western United States and southern Europe, the high plateau of the sheep ranges were always referred to as mesas, which in Spanish means tables. Amen? Hermana? See? Tables. Mesas. So the the sheep would often graze on mesas. So that's what he means here when he's talking about the tables. God prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want you to picture what David is describing here is a green flat plateau where sheep could graze without fear of their enemies. Now, who were the enemies of the sheep? Three primary enemies of the sheep were wolves and lions and coyotes. And all three are mentioned in the Bible, but coyotes in the Bible are referred to as jackals in Scripture jackals but you have wolves you have lions and you have jackals and they were the ferocious enemies of the sheep again sheep one of the qualities where they are defenseless 
And because they're defenseless, they have no natural ways to defend themselves. They have no growl, no fangs, no claws. They, they, they can't run fast. They can't hide very well. They drown in water. And so they're kind of clumsy animals and defenseless. And, and so they are often hamstrung, I don't know, la- lamb chop strung by, by ferocious animals. In fact, even just in the United States, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, in the United States, predators accounted for 31% of all sheep and lamb deaths. Over 250,000 sheep, on average, are killed by predators, and it costs farmers and ranchers over $20 million a year because predators killing off sheep. So understand, when David says here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, he is describing sheep who graze in peace on the plateaus, even though they're in the presence of their enemies, with lions and wolves and jackals on the ridgeline. Why? Why can they graze in peace even though they're in the presence of their enemies? Because their good shepherd protects them. He looks out for them. Now, there's an interesting parallel here, isn't there? Our great enemy, our great predator, is Satan. And the Bible refers to Satan as like a lion, just like one of the main predators of sheep are lions. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, we are warned, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So the Bible describes for us a predator as well. That the enemy, that Satan, desires to devour you, destroy you. You get that, right? He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy everything about your life. He wants to destroy our church. He's on the prowl like a roaring lion. Now, that said, he is a real enemy. He's a formidable foe. But our good shepherd is stronger still. And even our strongest enemy is no match for the power of God. And yet the warning is, be self-controlled and alert, because you've got to be prepared. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. So there is a responsibility that we have, but please know that it is your good shepherd who is looking out for you. Jesus himself will protect you, and thus he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, and you can rest in peace because... He who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And though our predators are purged on the ridgetop, the enemy himself, because Jesus even warned us, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we can feast at the table, even though we're in the presence of our enemies, because our good shepherd looks out for us. Psalm 121, 7-8, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Well, the second part of verse 5, David adds, You anoint my head with oil. Now, in the New Testament, there are examples, uh, sorry, in the Old Testament, there are examples of priests and kings being anointed with oil. And the oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, still is in the New Testament, and it was kind of indicative of setting this person apart for the purpose of God. It was uh, the administering olive oil as a, an anointing of consecration, okay? That's not, though, what is meant here in Psalm 23. What is meant here in Psalm 23 is this. The two main tormenting factors 
in a sheep's life were flies and parasites. In fact, there were these specific nasal flies that would torment sheep by entering their nostrils and burrowing up into their sinuses and laying larvae, as well as parasites would get into the ears of the sheep. And what would happen is that when sheep would be so tormented by these nasal flies and parasites, you could actually see them beating their heads against trees and rocks, trying to get some relief from their torment. And a lot of times, sheep will inadvertently kill themselves, banging their heads against a tree, trying to get relief. So now I want you to picture in the language of a shepherd here. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Because when a shepherd would see his sheep in such a tormented state, the shepherd would take the sheep into his arms and would apply olive oil to the head of this animal. In Hebrew, the word for olive oil is shemen. And he would put olive oil in the ears and around the nose of the sheep and over the head of the animal because olive oil was a natural resistant for uh, against flies and parasites. It was a repellent. And so it would brought the sheep relief and comfort. Now, think about this again in terms of ourselves and the comparison. The Lord is our shepherd. What does this mean? He anoints our heads with oil. Well, again, in the Bible, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in John 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as our comforter. Some translations say counselor. It is that Greek word parakletos. It means the one who comes alongside of us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is the one who comes alongside of us to win us over You know, you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ just only the exercise of your own intellect. It is also the work of God's Spirit bearing witness to your intellect that you respond to the truth of who Jesus is. But it is a work of God's Spirit in us that begins to move our hearts to say yes and amen to the Lord. Okay, now, the Holy Spirit is with us, bringing us into faith. But then when we come to receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And by the way, there's a whole other work of the overflowing baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. But understand the parallel here from Psalm 23. That in a similar way that a shepherd loves to anoint the head of the sheep to bring comfort and relief, God, by His Spirit, has saturated us that we might experience relief and comfort for some of the most tormenting things that we experience in life. God loves to bring relief and comfort to our tormenting times. He sees you beating your head against that tree. And he is intimately acquainted with our suffering and our grief. In fact, in Isaiah 53, 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And in Isaiah 66, 13, it says, As a mother comforts a child, so I will comfort you, says the Lord. I want you to read this passage and think about how much the Lord desires to comfort you in the midst of what you're going through. He sees the tormenting times of our lives. And like a good shepherd, he anoints us, he saturates us with his Holy Spirit to bring comfort to us. Paul, in describing the Lord, would write in 2 Corinthians 1.3 that he is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's who God is for us. You anoint my head with oil. Lord, you are the one who comforts me and brings relief to me in some of the most difficult times in my life. David goes on to write the rest of verse 5, My cup 
runs over. All right, something that overflows is indicative of abundance and excess. It's having more than enough. That's the imagery that he's trying to portray here. My cup runs over. With the Lord, he makes everything in abundance for my life. Now, I know, I I understand the reality. Sometimes life takes its toll, and sometimes you feel like your cup is empty, don't you? And that is a reality that all of us will go through from time to time. But I just want to remind you that the Lord is the one who will fill up your cup. And when you feel like your cup is empty, you continue to cling to the Lord because he is the one who will fill your cup to overflowing. In fact, in Romans 15, 13, it uses the word overflow. Romans 15, 13, Paul said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just that God wants you to have a little bit of hope. He wants you to be overflowing with hope. And that's the word that is used there. Also, Jude verse 2 says, Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Because that's who God is with us. He abundantly meets our needs. And he takes care of us spiritually, emotionally, physically, even materially. God is the God of abundance materially. I'm not preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm just saying, even even in terms of what we possess has come from the hand of God. And we need to be thankful for his abundance. I don't know if you knew this. But just to put some things in perspective, if you make at least $34,000 a year in an annual salary, you are in the upper 1% of the world's wealth. If you make at least 34 grand a year, 99% of the rest of the world make less than you. We live in abundance, don't we? And even again, to put things in perspective, and I don't mean to diminish the, the needs that those below the poverty level have in the United States of America, but just comparatively, relatively speaking... Even those who are deemed below the poverty level in the United States of America, listen to this statistic, 99% have electricity, running water, flushing toilets, and a refrigerator. 99%. And 95% of the poor in America have televisions. Okay? So when you begin to think in a broader perspective of the rest of the world and what the rest of the world doesn't have, how many of you can honestly say, my cup runs over? Amen? My cup runs over. God is the God of abundance, and he has taken care of us in wonderful, beautiful ways, spiritually, physically, emotionally, even materially. Verse 6. David writes the first part of verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, some of your translations say goodness and love, and IV says love, but it is the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed means just what, what I said, mercy. And David wants us to see God as he sees him. That God is a good and merciful God. I don't know what your image of God is. I don't know how you grew up and what might have framed your view of God. But if you don't see God as good and merciful, then somewhere along the line, you've embraced a wrong narrative of who God is. Because God is a good and merciful God. In fact, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. He longs. There is a longing in the heart of God to be gracious to us. There's a longing and a hunger for God to be gracious to us. And he rises at the beginning of every day. Not that God physically rises like we get up in the morning, but with with the advent of every dawn, God rises to show us compassion. He's a loving, merciful God. He is good to us. And he longs 
to be gracious to us. Now, there's an important thing I want you to notice here in in the first part of verse 6, where it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I want you to underline or circle the words, follow me. Because it sounds like, doesn't it? It sounds like it's kind of trailing behind. You know, like I'm kind of out in front and goodness and mercy kind of, they're following me. They're, they're behind me somewhere. But I, the reason I ask you to circle those words is because in the Hebrew, it's actually a military term that literally translates to chase or pursue. So I want you to think like in battle, when one side is pursuing the enemy, they, you know, they're chasing them down. It's an offensive campaign of some kind. I want you to understand goodness and mercy like that. Okay, because that's the way the original language reads. The goodness and mercy of the Lord is going to pursue you and hunt you down. That's how much God loves you. He's on the chase for you. And I don't care how far you try to run from God, and some of you have been doing that, or how fast you try to run from God, God will run farther and, and faster still. Because he will never give up. He is relentless in his pursuit of you and me because of his love for us. You see, God is not content to allow any of us to remain the way we are. Because God knows that we're all on a path to destruction. We're all on a path to hell. And the Bible says that God wants none to perish. No, not one. And so what does he do? He sends his son Jesus to die on a cross that as many as believed in him to them that received him, he gave the right to become children of God so that we don't have to perish. So we don't have to perish. And so therefore, because God knows left to ourselves, we will surely perish. He chases us. He hunts us down. You know, for those of you who've been on the run from God, you know, you know that annoying Christian in your office? That's God on the hunt for you. <laughs> you, know, you. You know, you lost your previous job, and now you got this job, and you got these Christians all around you, and they're wanting to do Bible studies. They're always talking about you. Why don't they just leave me and go away? Because God's on the hunt for you. That's why. And then you always, you know, you get on Metro, or you're in that carpool, and someone else is talking about, you can't escape Christians. It's because God's on the hunt for you, my friend. And you're going to become just like one of those annoying people sooner or later. <laughs> And they're only annoying because you're on the run, right? You know, it's, it's like rubbing the fur on a cat. When you rub the wrong direction, it feels funny, but smooth it down and, and it goes well with you. You know, when you're running from God, it feels funny. But when you go in the right direction, it feels smooth. And so everything else is going to start to bombard you because it's God on the hunt for you. There's a great poem that was written in the 19th century that refers to God as the hound of heaven. And that's how he is. He's on the hunt for you and me because he loves us. And he knows that left to ourselves... We're going to destroy ourselves. And so God pursues us with his goodness and his mercy. And maybe some of you have been too ashamed or feeling too guilty over things that you've done. God is still pursuing you with his mercy and his goodness. Maybe some of you just, you know, you you feel too distant from God. That's okay. He's pursuing you with his goodness and his mercy. God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And That's why he pursues us. He's in love with us. And and he'll never be content until we breathe our last. And you can run from God all day long. And you can resist him all you want. But God loves you enough that he will always pursue you. And so this leads into the last part of verse 6. Where David then adds, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now understand the language here. He's not saying, I want to dwell in the temple forever, okay? David didn't build the temple. God gave David the plans for building the temple, and then his son Solomon built it in Jerusalem. And it would stand, it would have some renovations, but it would stand until 70 AD when the Romans would destroy it. David is not saying, you know, I I want to live in the temple of God for the rest of my life, forever and ever and ever. He has no illusions, like, you know, like he's going to live forever. He knows he's going to die. 
So he's not, he's not talking about an earthly temple, an earthly house of God. And by the way, even in that language, we'll sometimes refer to, you know, this, our church, our building as the house of the Lord. And it is. But he's talking about something more than just a temporal earthly building. Because again, he knows he's going to die. What he's talking about here is a heavenly dwelling. Because in Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews 8 tells us that the temple that was built in Jerusalem was built according to the plans that God gave David. And Hebrews 8 says that the temple in Jerusalem was a shadow and a copy of the sanctuary in heaven. So I don't know if you understand, but Hebrews 8 tells us that in heaven there's actually an exact replica of the sanctuary that once stood in Jerusalem. And David built that according to the plans that God gave him, and it was a copy and a shadow of what was and is in heaven. God dwells in his holy temple. You know, Isaiah had this great vision when Isaiah saw the Lord. I I see, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah wrote, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Remember that passage in Isaiah 6? And so what Isaiah is talking about is he saw God in a temple on a throne. And God is situated in heaven in a sanctuary. When David writes, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's not, he's not hoping to live in the temple on earth forever. What he's talking about is having an assurance that when he dies, he will spend eternity living with the Lord forever. Living with the Lord forever. You know, this is the great promise of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That doesn't mean that you live forever on earth. God knows how we are made. He knows that we are simply dust, and we're going to return to dust when we're buried. But he's talking about when our spirit separates our body, we will go to be with the Lord and live with him forever. Jesus said in John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I I would have told you. But if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you might be also. Paul would write in his epistles, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. David's statement here, is one of confidence that on the day I die, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, here's my question. Can you confidently say that too? Do you have that same confidence sitting here right now today to be able to say, whenever you die, whenever I personally die, I know I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. I know that I'm going to go be with the Lord forever and ever. Because if you can't answer that confidently, today can be a day of decision. So before you leave this place, you can know that you know on the day you die, you'll go to be with the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This whole psalm is about a personal, loving shepherd who laid down his life for us on a cross. Jesus even uses that language in John chapter 10, verse 11, when he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We are his sheep. Jesus died on a cross so that we might have life by believing in him as our Lord and Savior. And if you can't confidently state that you know that you know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, 
then I'm going to invite you to settle that once and for all today. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.